This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me today are the Toledo Symphony's Artistic Administrator and Principal Second Violin, Merwin Sue. We also have the Marketing Director, Felicia Canny, back in the studio with us. And our special guest today is Keith McWaters, who is a Toledo Symphony percussionist and also the orchestra manager. Did I get that right, Keith, your, your titles? I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm a drummer. Well, that's, that's okay. That's okay. You remind me of a story of when I was uh, in high school in the jazz band. Although this is a trombonist, not a percussionist, but we we had rehearsal. We could not find the trombonist anywhere, and uh, eventually the teacher found him asleep in one of the great big like closet areas where they kept the tubas. Evidently, he was snoozing, thinking he would wake up in time for rehearsal, but he didn't. Have you ever had an experience like that, Keith? I haven't had anyone sleep through a rehearsal. I but, met with I met you yourself. Oh, me personally. Uh, <laughs> did I ever go to sleep in a closet and miss something? Uh, no, not that I'm aware of. Of course, M- I was sleeping. Music in your so. professional life, yeah. Uh, no, I haven't missed anything like that. Yeah, I've gotten to jobs without my sticks or without uh, you know some gear that I would need, but that's about as, yeah. as bad as it's. But going. as a percussionist, you can just like use your hands, right, and just just hit on whatever's available. You would think so. But yeah. sure like you would really be wrong. wrong. They, they hold you to a higher <laughs> level of uh, expectation, I guess. Right. Well, uh, Keith, you are sort of in the hot seat here because it's your first time with Toledo yeah. Symphony Lab. I'm nervous. I'm really so, nervous. Don't be nervous. Nothing okay. to be afraid of. Okay. Okay. Uh, we, you know, we're all good people here. We're not gonna. We're not gonna uh, embarrass you. Hopefully. And we brought donuts. So how bad can it be? Yeah. We, we might let you embarrass yourself, but that's you know that's a different story. I'm all about that. Um, so tell us just a little bit about uh, your history with TSO, Keith. Well, I go way back. I, uh, I'm local here, so I went through high school at Whitmer. I went through the University of Toledo's program, uh, bachelor in education. And it was during that time that I was taking private lessons with Robert Bell. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got to know Bob very well. And uh, just over the years, I've uh, started playing with the orchestra back in the late 70s. Uh, just as a drum set player with the Pops orchestras and also in some of the small ensembles. And at one point, uh, they needed someone to pick up some sales work, and I got started part-time with sales and mm-hmm. then eventually into personnel and then playing full-time. So, yeah. Yeah. Great. I'm going to do it till I get it right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, we have a theme for the episode today, which, which ties in perfectly to why Keith is here. And I'm going to give you a clue. Here's an audio clue as to what the theme is. What, what is that? <laughs> it's, an it's, it's the sound of a trombone player waking up. I, I was going to say, it's hard to tell if it's an oboe or a truck horn, one or the other. <laughs> But uh, that is a honking horn of a truck. The idea is uh, that it's a sort of a you know on the road theme today. We're gonna pull back the curtain and give uh, listeners an idea of what goes on behind the scenes every time the symphony w- goes out on a on a run out concert. We'll tell you what that is in just a moment. But uh, I think a lot of people they look at their season brochure and they think, oh, that's wonderful. You know, the symphony plays at. The Paris style, they play, you know, at it's Franciscan Center. They play in these different venues where we go to hear them. But the symphony actually goes out to the community and does a lot of stuff, especially this time of year. So, you know, the, the technical term for all of this are is run-out concerts. And who can bring the audience up to speed on the terminology here? 
Well, we actually do both neighborhood concerts, which are concerts that are probably within Toledo proper, and run-out concerts, which take us a little further afield. It's a chance for us to really um, work with different congregations, different communities, and really bring a tailored experience Mm -hmm. to them. And I think one of the things that's really exceptional about the Toledo Symphony is that for Almost every other orchestra which does these sorts of community outreach programs, they offer a program and it's what's brought to each different venue. But we really tailor our programs Mm -hmm. so that there is some sort of a personalized element to pretty much every one of these programs. So we're changing the program for every night. Can can you give us an example of that, though? Like, does somebody come to you and say, we want the symphony to come perform in our church or what have Mm -hmm. you? And then how do you work with them to to personalize it? Well, for example, we do a wonderful collaboration with um, St. Patrick's Church in Bryan, and they like to feature... Um, often it's young, younger uh, musicians, but also it's um, professionals who have a connection to the Bryan area. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't necessarily have to have a Christmas or a holiday feel. There was is something that they really enjoy featuring, even though it's a Christmas concert, they like to um feature sometimes as a operatic soloist, sometimes as a young young person performing mm-hmm. on an instrument, and we work that into our program. Somebody um that they know that they're familiar Absolutely. with comes yeah. in and does the uh, the solo takes a solo spotlight Absolutely. as it were. Yeah. yeah. Now Felicia, you were telling me you've you've gone to many of these concerts. You've been oh, yes. here for for five years with the symphony now. I may, I might be sort of a, a groupie <laughs> to the TSO. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about your experience with the, with the runouts. Um, I used to uh, manage the runout concerts and help coordinate some of the the various. Odds and ends of the concert experience. And um, I remember, like Merwin said, each location treats their, each church treats their concert a little bit differently. And um, I think one of the first phone calls I got was from St. Pat's and Brian because they have this Christmas committee that, that puts on this concert and it's so well oiled, well organized. And um, she was telling me about, uh, an audition that they put on each September to get the artists for the concerts. And then um, they usually have like two, two or three winners who get the opportunity to play with the TSO. And then um, we just work with them to select pieces that work in their keys or yeah. their ranges. If they're soloist singers, um, we also have instrumentalists. Um, and that's just how that one location treats that concert, but all yeah. the other locations in different communities, um, that's how we tailor and make it more, more custom, um, more really community focused, so that people are just like drawn in flocks to the church, and it's really <laughs> cool. It's really neat to see um, a win-win situation. Yeah, it's, I, I've been to a, a few happy... of them, and, the, and it seems like they're always like just packed to the to the gills. You yeah, know, that people show up. Um, well, let's talk about what goes into uh, making those happen. And, and on the surface, it may seem that it runs very smoothly. And uh, that people just show up and play, but it's a little bit more complicated than that, I would imagine. And Keith, you as the orchestra manager, I, I would think you could speak to that a little bit. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes? Absolutely. And the 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 point that you make that it looks seamless and smooth on the outside is just a testament to the production crew, because every single one of these venues is not a concert venue. 
Uh, well, occasionally we will, we just recently played at the Peristyle and we'll do some things at the Stranahan, but typically the regional and neighborhood concerts are at churches or high school auditoriums and, uh, and not necessarily set up to, to have an orchestra on stage. Hmm. Uh, so the crew will get there. Sometimes they'll go out weeks in advance just to scope out what it is that they're going to need to do to make us fit. And it involves moving furniture. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, a lot of times the, the church will have, uh, obviously things that you do, uh, furniture that you have on, in place to, to, uh, that do not move. <laughs> that, yeah. Some of it doesn't move. You're right. So there are a lot of times where the conductor will be standing like at the altar and, and conducting over the altar and the orchestra is sprinkled around, uh, the church. What you don't see, even at, if you're at this, a particular venue, what you don't see is the different levels of risers and chair blocks so that people sit and mm. can walk squarely and evenly. Uh, so the truck will bring in special chairs, special risers made for that venue. Some of them triangle shaped, some of them square, some of them round. It's funny how they just all fit into place. So do you have, do you have all of these components and then you choose from them according to what you think the venue needs? Is that how it works? Or do you have to go custom build something for a particular space? Yes, you do have to custom build. And what, what's nice is a lot of our venues are repeat. So we simply know that this particular triangle goes into St. Joe's and Sylvania. <laughs> uh, and those things are all on the truck at the beginning of the run. And, yeah. uh, and then you'll get on site and you'll realize something doesn't fit quite right. So they will then make something and bring it in and get yeah. us all set up. And then you run the like, electricity and the stand lights and, and all the other stuff that has to happen to make it look like a concert hall. How much time are we talking about in investing in? And just getting ready for the concert. This is before, you know, the first note sounds. Four hours. Yeah. Typically okay. four Setting hours. Setting up yep. at the venue. And then you have to stay and strike the whole thing afterward, right? That's indeed right. <laughs> it has to be on the truck for the next venue the next day. Yeah. You don't so. make the orchestra stay until you're done. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Everybody help. Nope. That would be They all run out. Oh, look at the time. Got to run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is not like a, a union gig where you have to have certain card carrying members move the furniture for you is it no each of these venues uh aside from some of the ones i just mentioned uh, but the churches and the the high school auditoriums no that's that's and what's nice is the uh, the presenter will more often than not provide four or six helpers to begin mm -hmm. and to and to help us tear down yeah because you have to remember we're tearing down at 11 o'clock and we have to then be at the next venue in 12 hours to start oh, yeah. loading in for the next. So yeah, it's a, it's a quick turnaround on each of these. We do a different venue every night. You're yeah. not getting a lot of sleep this time of year. Trombone players do. They, uh, <laughs> especially <laughs> when it, when it's rehearsal time, right? They just right. pass it. The they, just, time. they hang out in the closet. <laughs> That's not true. I should strike that. Cause uh, <laughs> trombone players. Them? Yeah. They, uh, but no, it, 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 the, the production crew doesn't sleep a lot. You're yeah, right. Yeah. Well, without naming specific n names, can you tell us, like, let's say what was the most challenging run out for you? Does anything stick out in your mind as like particularly uh, difficult to mount? Well, I, I don't necessarily, like you say, you don't, you don't want to get specific. There are some venues that are. We just make up a name. You don't have to say, you know, what it was. <laughs> Well, Jingle Bell Church. Yeah. Uh, Jingle Bell Church. St. Jingle Bell. <laughs> there is, uh, there is, that's the one. <laughs> there it is. Oh, gosh, now I want to play Every ride. time you walk through the door, they play little Jingle Bells for you. <laughs> Perfect. 
Well, no, there is one. There is one venue that's particularly difficult. Uh, it's it's hard to get into. Uh, there's not much room. I, uh, as a drum set player, in uh, there is. I have to actually sit. I think it's stuck. It won't stop. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Anyway, I have to actually sit on the banister while I'm playing the drum set because there isn't quite enough room for the drum set, and uh, I can't set up until the brasses are all in place. Uh, so that one's a particularly difficult uh, to get into and set up and then to hear. Uh, it's just one where the orchestra is spread out in a very strange way. Yeah. And between all the, the chair blocks to make everyone safe and and uh, and then the difficulty in, in hearing the rest of the orchestra. That's probably the hardest. I won't give the name of that one, but everybody's <laughs> nodding because we all know where that is. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> now we all want to know. Everybody wants to know where that is. But they're is. very loyal. They, yeah. They've been having fabulous a, yes, place. So, so mm-hmm. that's one of the great Decades, things about yeah. it is that you develop these really long-term relationships with venues. Not just in the Christmas season. We've there's there's things that we do in February with St. Martin de Porres Catholic Church, and um, when we go out to Archbolt, um, we've been going out there for almost two decades, if not if not more. And it's it's one of the amazing things you were talking about how people kind of flip through the brochure and see, oh, this is what the Toledo Symphony is doing. That's probably between 30 and 40% of what we do. Yeah. Most of the stuff that we do is not in a subscription program. And That's it's right. it, and many of those services fall into these categories. Well, suffice it to say that, that um, if you're in the symphony, you're, you're working quite a bit. You're doing much more than just those particular concerts. Absolutely. Yeah, they keep you busy. Speaking of which, uh, they keep a lot of you busy, not only in a uh, musician capacity, but also in an administrative capacity. You know, Merwin, I always introduce you as a principal second violin and the artistic administrator. Keith, you're a percussionist. You're also the orchestra manager. Can you tell us a little bit about how this uh, works? Because there are a lot of people who play in the symphony who are also working behind the scenes. Well, I think it's it used to be extremely rare. Um, the idea of kind of like um, silos almost between management, administration, musicians. Um, that used to be something that was, and it's still the industry standard in orchestras, but I think those boundaries are starting to be a little bit more permeable. But I think part of the, and this is not something I can necessarily speak to firsthand, but there is a, institutional history with the Toledo Symphony Orchestra, where um, the people, and I, again, speaking primarily to Bob Bell, um, just um, somebody who was involved in every facet of the organization, both as a musician and then library management, um, wor- working up all the way to president and CEO. Um, I think that institutional history um, made our orchestras kind of different and not seeing these boundaries as something that needed to be, you know, stone walls, that there's a lot of knowledge that people can bring from either side. And it also, I mean, on a purely practical level, it also helps musicians who are are not the highest paid of professionals um, to be able to, um, to earn, earn an additional income in a way that helps us, you know, have a comfortable living here. You you were very diplomatic in how you, (laughs) It's Canadian upbringing. Oh, you brought that up. <laughs> Do we bring up your Canadian 
every yes, every right. single it's a quota. episode. We have a quota. Right. <laughs> <Canadian content laughs> CBC, right? Now, Keith, you're not from Canada, right? I am not. Where no. are you from originally? I'm from. I was born just outside Chicago, but I'm really from oh, okay. Toledo. I lived in Chicago for like six weeks. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I was born memories. in Joliet. You know where Joliet? Oh, is, sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's close to Chicago. Yes, it is. So we were like, you know, little baby neighbors. Back in the day. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to add to what, what Marma was talking about vis-a-vis the, the, the two hats that a lot of musicians wear? It, you know, it's r- remarkably um, effective because as orchestra manager, I would typically hear, uh, you know, what might go wrong, uh, complaints, um, if something should happen. Uh, as orchestra manager sitting behind a desk and simply sending an orchestra out to do something, the learning curve or the hearing curve would be delayed significantly Mm. and when when things like that are delayed they only get worse until management hears about them right uh management's there in the trenches so there's a bunch of us there so if the meal didn't work out so good we know it (laughs) and if you were there i was there and i went hungry as well uh but no you know those those kinds of things uh just simply being in the trenches with the orchestra helps keep me in touch with what's going yeah. on out there and what we're doing and uh and that's been very helpful to me so well and i think it helps the orchestra run more smoothly and it helps with morale as well to for for folks to feel connected i think so way. i think yeah. so now people may not know exactly what an orchestra manager does can you tell us what that job description would be mostly it's personnel and it's also production uh kind of just keep keep an eye on production, although the team does very well. Uh, Most of it is personnel. It's just getting the right players in the right places at the right time. Mm -hmm. Um, It's arranging for when you're talking about the run-out concerts. It's arranging for the buses to take the orchestra. It's arranging for the meals. It's arranging the uh, the different players. Another thing that, that a lot of folks probably consider is or don't consider is that when you see the orchestra on stage it isn't always the same players Mm -hmm. so that has to be juggled um and but but really that's it it's just making sure that all the pieces are in place from Mm -hmm. from one from one concert is there like a rotation then for the orchestra how does that work if it's not all the same players there is a rotation this time of year there's rotation in the string section uh and that comes partly from uh, the fact that these venues are smaller, so we don't need all of our string players on mm. on any given concert. And it also comes from just trying to take care of the players because the stringed instruments play every note. Uh, the brasses can can catch a break now and again and percussion uh, wins, but for the, the most part... Percussion are off sleeping in the closet anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> or the trombone players. Or the trombone players. But... It's, uh, yeah, that's, there is some rotation, but more than that, it's also the, the different pieces call for different instrumentation. So so depending on what piece you're playing, you may need this person or not. So you have to kind of look at it as far as pacing as well and, and who needs a break here and there and that sort of thing. It seems like a a lot of uh, organization involved. A ton. A ton, yeah. and you have to be way out in front of it because mm-hmm. things are going to go wrong. I mean, anytime you take a band on the road, things are going to go wrong. So if you want to have time for the things that you can't avoid going wrong, then you try to guess at what's going to go wrong before yeah. it does and have it all squared away. Well, last week on this podcast, we did a lot of listening to stories being told about how things went wrong with the Nutcracker. And I know, Merwin, <laughs> you weren't here, but it was it was pretty funny talking about uh, – uh, I, I should mention, you know, no mouses were harmed. No mice. No mouses. <laughs> mouses. 
<laughs> we understood you. <laughs> my third grade English. No mice were uh, were harmed in 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 the endeavor of, that we were talking about. But you know, you know, a mouse fell into the pit and destroyed a viola during Nutcracker. So that's that's like on the scale of things that can go wrong in a performance. That that's pretty far up there. So Keith, what I'm getting at is, mm-hmm. uh, do you have any war stories? Do you have any memorable things that uh, went wrong? Because you know that's much more fun to hear about than yeah. I suppose, and I would like to clarify that the mouse falling in was actually a child dressed as a mouse, not a little mouse that uh, <laughs> that jumped in and destroyed were you there a viola. For that? You remember that? I the, do remember that. Yeah. I didn't happen. I wasn't. Did you I, shriek? But the mouse was okay, <laughs> right? I think the mouse was okay. Yes, when you land on a viola. <laughs> oh, you were ready. That was the mouse. <laughs> that was the mouse. Yeah, the mouse was okay. Her fall was was broken by the viola, right? Yeah. And the viola was broken by her fall. So it was <laughs> mutual. <laughs> yep. So uh, let's see if you can top that. Boy, you know, I I can't. I mean, I I have stories of uh, people who get to the to the venue without their instrument or I had one fellow back over their without instrument. Their instrument. Yes. Felicia's doing an air trombone. <laughs> oh, no, no, he didn't forget his instrument. He only forgot part of his instrument. He was sleeping in the closet. <laughs> no, he was and awake. We got Well, that's an interesting one though because we were out of town and uh the trombone player had his case and his instrument but he didn't have his slide. And the trombone doesn't work without Wait, a slide. Where was the slide? Uh, we're, I think, maybe at home and practicing, <laughs> and you know, you. Uh, t- yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's what he said. Just he left practicing. it out. Yeah. Right. But uh, so what we did was. We, but we're not naming any names. No, we're not. No, no. no. But it wasn't Charles, <laughs> and it wasn't Dan. So <laughs> the uh, it was interesting that the band director from the local uh, city was at the show and saw the flurry of activity and wondered if he could help. And we said, do you have a trombone? And he got us a trombone and wow. we played the concert unscathed, but it's a pretty good story. And yeah. I have a clarinet player who backed over his clarinets getting ready to leave for the job. And Oh no. Who was know, that? Things. <laughs> we just, while, we're, while we're not naming names. No, just kidding. Just okay. kidding. <laughs> He's not with the orchestra anymore. Oh, well then you definitely can name his name. <laughs> yeah. It might've been Don, but how, how do you, you back over your clarinet? How awful. Do you awful. like to sit up? Like, wait, back over with what? Like a his vehicle? Car. Oh. Mm. Yeah. I thought you just meant like sitting on it's, it. His tricycle. tricycle. Ran over my clarinet. It's um, believable. <laughs> yeah, so the clarinet didn't survive, I take it. No. no. Yeah. Uh, the Lord works in mysterious ways. That's rough. <laughs> rough. Well, I think you did pretty well with, with your war stories there, competing with the mouse. You have one, Felicia? I, I wasn't really a part of this war story, but I've heard lots of accounts of this happening. So a few years ago, and we actually did this at Clyde this year, um, we would have uh, high school choirs. There was one from uh, Clyde and then Woodville joined to create this massive choir. And when yeah. you have a massive choir, there are risers, and I'm, I'm sure teachers put people you know, in their singing parts and height order to make it look pretty. And I think moments before they were supposed to file on stage for, was it parts of the Messiah? I think we did that. Um, they realized that they were lined up backwards. So it's like hundreds and hundreds of kids backstage <laughs> waiting in the wings, ready to like file in to sing their parts. And um, then they're like, Oh no, we're backwards. <laughs> and then backstage they, they had a really quick plan and they just like ran 
really fast in like in <laughs> in order to make it to the other side of the stage in order to file in. And then um, I, I remember seeing all the kids walking in with like really big grins on their face. And in the auditorium, I didn't know what was really going on. I was like, man, those kids are really happy <laughs> to be there. <laughs> And uh, I know we did this again uh, this year. No snafus with the choirs lining <laughs> for Clyde. <laughs> nope. I thought you were saying they were backwards, so like the curtains would open, they'd be facing the back wall. <laughs> no. <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> well, hopefully that doesn't Everybody happen. turn around. <laughs> turn around. The yeah. are here. <laughs> Makes me think of like these like cloverleaf traffic patterns or something, because yeah. I think they actually had to go into a larger room to be able to oh, really? run in and loop See, around. See, I just imagine yeah. these things. I, that's like a Canadian thing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. I I have a lot of uh, war stories from my days when I was uh, singing opera and performing in opera houses. But probably one of the most memorable is uh, the opera Susanna. Do you know this opera mm-hmm. by Carlisle, Carlisle Floyd? Yeah. And I was singing the part of the brother Sam. And there's this is at, at Baltimore Opera, but they were doing it outside in an outdoor theater, an amphitheater during the summer, and it was like 110 degrees at night. It was just awful. But I was coming in for an entrance with a bag of critters right over my shoulder i'd been out hunting and i come in and i'm <laughs> singing like about the bag of critters and you know i bought some i got some uh, animals for us to 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 cook and eat and i'm feeling as i'm walking on the stage the the bag get lighter and lighter i never knew what they had put in there <laughs> they put something in there to make it lumpy and like like a bag of animals and i felt it getting lighter and lighter and i look at the soprano who's facing me and her eyes are getting bigger and bigger <laughs> And I'm thinking, well, I, I don't know what it is, but it must not be animals that they put in my, my bag. And I finally got to a point where I could turn and see what was there. And there was like this whole lumpy string of brightly Easter egg colored terry cloth towels that <laughs> just were falling. strewn across the stage that evidently the bag had come loose somehow and they were just falling out while I was singing. And, uh, yeah, that was a that was a pretty interesting one. There's some other ones as well, but you know we only have so much time. Well, it's uh, interesting to hear about all the things that go into making these concerts happen because uh, the audience on the other side of that curtain sees again, you know, the end product, which uh, is uh, really um, buoyed by everything that uh, the folks are doing behind the scenes. And there's so much work that goes into it. So. Can I can I share just real quick statistics? Yeah, let's in, hear statistics. In from uh, we started on November twenty fourth of, of this season, twenty fourth, uh, right after the Thanksgiving holiday, and we play for twenty four days. And in those twenty four days, we do nine rehearsals, twenty three performances. We have eleven ensemble performances. We're in nineteen different venues in eleven different cities, all in those twenty four days. Wow! So that if that's you amazing. Put that in perspective. Well, before we go, let's talk about some uh, upcoming concerts. I know you have concerts in napoleon right on the 13th and fostoria on the 14th and temperance my neck of the woods on the 15th and uh neighborhood concerts in rossford and the old west end can we find all of these on the website for folks who live in those communities yes. and want to go at so toledo mm-hmm. if they call up the box office do you, do you need tickets for this or do you get them at the at the venue or how does it work um the tickets are um Offered at the venue, so you'll have to call each individual church to okay. get tickets for those concerts. But you if you have any questions, our box office call ready. Felicia. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> call call the box office. They're all okay. ready. Four one nine three. Wait, 
419-246-8000. I almost gave my phone number up on the air. <laughs> that probably wouldn't be good. You know, we almost did that with Zach's phone yeah. number on uh, an ad in the program book. Like he wow. had changed it himself to his own phone number. And I was like, Zach, I thought you said, I thought you said one, two. And he's like, yeah. no, one, one. And then days later, I was like, Zach, you just gave your phone number to everybody. <laughs> and he's like, we need, we need to change this and overhaul this program book now. Wow. Edit did you out, change please. it? <laughs> yes, we did. So, so just, uh, so we know what is Zach's phone number again? <laughs> <laughs> So that's about unfortunately all the time that we have a lot of things to talk about but i think that we covered we covered some good uh some good ground here and uh, hopefully you know shown a light a little bit on all the stuff that goes on backstage and uh keith mcwaters thank you for joining us today My orchestra pleasure. manager thanks for having me. toledo symphony lab is generously underwritten by a gift from the estate of barbara garwood and is a production of wgte public media in collaboration with our sponsor the toledo symphony you can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org. I'm Brad Cresswell, and this has been Toledo Symphony Lab here on FM 91.